if you guys could, if you have your Bibles, we'll have it behind you. But if you do have your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're going to do a very short passage today from Romans 12. It's Romans 12.1. Um, we're going to get back to 1 Corinthians, I promise. Uh, there's just a c- couple of things that, as I've walked through the last, well, just a few things on my heart that I just wanted to touch on that might be um, carried out in the next message or two. And then, Lord willing, we're going to come back to our 1 Corinthians series that we started in 2009. <laughs> um, and, uh, but there's so much good stuff in Corinthians that's just like ready-made for where we are as a church family. I mean, I really feel like that book was a divine gift to this church in terms of just the correlation between what we've gone through, what our challenges are, what our opportunities are, and what that book says. So that will, I, I think there's no end to that when we come back to it, Lord willing, in a few weeks. Um, so, um, I call the first opening of this, um, of this part of the message uh, an impossible necessity. That's not supposed to be out there. Can we, there you go. There we go. Thank you, Brando. That's not your fault, by the way. It's mine. But this, this section of this message as I open on Romans 12 is, is called an impossible necessity. So, um, so let's, let's read through this command. Let's read through this passage together. Just this morning, let's read out loud, and uh, we'll read together, and then I'll pray and we'll get started. I appeal to you. Read with me. Therefore, brothers and sis- sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Lord, as we look at this passage, please. God, we sang it this morning. We know it in our hearts. We can't do anything without you. You've told us that. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Lord, you've said with man this is impossible. And yet you've said with God all things are possible. So you're the only crucial factor in in really at at the fundamental level, Lord. You have to act. You have to work. But Lord, we're your children We're here because Jesus already purchased us. We've already been drawn to you, Lord. So we're not begging as some homeless person on the corner that you've never seen before. We're asking as your children, feed us, Father. Work powerfully through your Holy Spirit upon your people, upon your bride. Husband, Redeemer, you tell us to be husbands who lay down our lives as you lay down the church, lay down your life for the church. You tell us to be husbands, redeemers, husbands who, as, as you, as our husband redeemer, wash your bride in your word. And so that's what we're asking you to do today. Lord, why should we expect you to do anything else, O oh husband redeemer, but to wash your bride this morning with your word? In Jesus' name, amen. An impossible necessity. So a command related to this in Romans 12 that we've talked about in the last several months, especially at the beginning of our forward series on mission, is this command in Luke 9.23. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Do you hear that? Hear that again. Jesus saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. 
When you hear this command, what happens in your heart? It could be a number of things. It could be you're intimidated by it. Like, this is impossible. It could be fear. If I do this, life will be too hard. It could be frustration. I've tried this again and again, and I always fail. It could be exhaustion. I don't want this kind of moral tyranny. God, which shirt should I wear? Which sock should I wear? Is that what Jesus means? Every moment fighting to deny what I want and maybe what I need? Ugh. On the other hand, it could be at this point numbness. I've heard that before. That's cool. Beautiful. <laughs> what a great idea. Not going to think about it too hard. <laughs> Just don't even know how to make sense of it. Confusion. I don't know what this means for me. Whatever your reaction, this is a passage that means something. And we have to respond to it. Jesus isn't giving us an option. He's saying, anyone who wants to follow me, everyone, do you want to be a Christian? Do you want to follow me? When Jesus called the apostles to evangelize the world, he told them to make disciples of all nations, and he said, teach them all that I commanded you. So this is one of those commands about what he wanted them to command us, that he told us to command us. It's, it's not a command for super-Christians. This is a required, normal, essential Christian life. Daily deny and follow Jesus. But let me tell you how I feel sometimes when I hear that command. I have a two-year-old son, William. John's sick today, so they all got to, I shouldn't say got to, they all stayed home. William is crazy. He's, um, he's just in the sweetest age, you know. He's full of adventure and courage and complete, has no wisdom. Uh, like yet, Yesterday, he was walking around with, uh, with the end of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, just walking around the house with the end of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, which was like a trophy. It's like, what's he doing with this thing? So I just started following him around. He's walking around. He walks by the laundry room. The laundry, <laughs> the washing machine door is open. Boop! <laughs> Keeps walking. That's where the peanut butter and jelly sandwich goes. It goes in the washing machine to him. He knows he's not supposed to do it. No question. So he's just not that age. But I, 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 just, I just love him. I love that about him. But uh, last summer, and we'll see it again this summer, he, he loves to swim. He's like a fish, you know, in water. And, and he comes to the edge of the pool, and he wants so bad. To, he just wants to get in that water. But he has a little bit of wisdom. Because he won't go in that water without me. Like, he wants to see me, you know? So he, so he, real, he just walks around the pool just like, Daddy, come here, come here, come here, come here. And he, he completely inverts the parent-child relationship. Like, he has no qualms about just telling me what to do at any time during the day. So he insists that I come so he can jump in the pool. Because he has a little bit of wisdom, right? Like, if he's going to jump in that pool, he knows somewhere deep inside he's too and he's not going to make it. When I hear Jesus say, <laughs> for, for, for so long, I think it's ingrained in me, deny yourself daily and follow me. I can, what I can feel like is I'm at the edge of a pool, and it's empty. And it's an eight-foot drop. 
And not, not only is my dad not there, there's no water there. Like, how am I going to do this? Doesn't this command turn the gospel of grace that to be a Christian is fundamentally trusting what Jesus did on Calvary to secure our salvation? Doesn't it turn it on its head? I mean, don't, I don't we just want to erase it from the Bible? Because, but there it is, staring us in the face. Jesus saying, you don't call yourself a Christian if you're not going to deny yourself every day and follow me. Commitment to me is not an option. Denying yourself isn't an option for if you want to be called my disciples, and that's what I want. I want disciples. I didn't say, like, go into all the nations and make people who feel great about me. He said people who are disciples, and disciples follow me. They deny themselves and they follow me. So what do we do? How do we make sense of our emptiness, the gospel of grace? Do you feel the tensions? Do you understand the tensions I'm talking about? A passage I love in the Bible so much is John 16. Um, I can't remember the, the other verse, but he, oh, there it is, 12 through 14. I love this. This is Jesus on the night he was about to be betrayed, and he says this to the disciples. He says, I still have many things to say to you. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This means that Jesus did not stop revealing himself. He did not stop revealing God to the disciples to the apostles when he left this earth. He sent his spirit to them so that they, the disciples, could tell us more of what Jesus had to say. Or rather, so Jesus could tell us more through them. So from the apostles, from Romans, from Galatians, from First Peter, from Hebrews, this is why I hate red letter Bibles. Like that, that highlight with red the words of Jesus. He didn't stop talking when he rose from heaven. He said, I will keep talking to you through my spirit. I have a whole bunch of things more to say to you. Hey, John, I have a lot more to say to you. I have Galatians to say to you. I have he Peter, I have Hebrews to say to you. I can't do it tonight. You won't understand it all. But when I send you my Holy Spirit, he will renew your mind. He will give you my mind, and he will teach you truth. Three times in that discourse, the spirit is called the spirit of truth. And so from the apostles, we hear more. We hear, in my heart, a comprehensive, beautiful answer to the tensions and the dilemmas that, that I talked about. How do we deny ourselves and not eclipse the gospel of grace? How do we jump in the pool that's required to jump into? How do we deny ourselves daily and follow Jesus, as are, which is required of us, and not find cement eight feet down? Or, or we've inverted the gospel, and soon we're trying to earn our salvation. 
Well, this is what 12, Romans 12, 1 through 2 does for us and many other passages, but in a very, I think, precise way, this passage does this for us. Coming back to it. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I appeal to you. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So you can hear the command of Jesus to take up our cross, expressed again here in a new and different way. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Take up your cross, (laughs) instrument of death. Paul would have had something very close to an instrument of death in mind when he said a living sacrifice. He would have had the temple in mind. He would have had animals in mind. To the Jewish reader, to Paul's heart, and possibly to the Greek who was aware of cultic practices, this picture would have been visceral and dramatic. Images of knives and blood and fire coming to mind. This animal is sacrificed. It's cut, it bleeds out, and it's burned up. And its whole body is burned up. Every part, its smoke, its aroma, the entirety of its life physically, as well as the soul that leaves this earth, is offered up to God. Everything. This speaks to the totality of the sacrifice Jesus is calling us to make. Just as there's nothing left of the animal in mind or body to run off the altar, there's nothing left. It's offered in its totality. Paul is calling for, Doug Moose says, the total, all-encompassing presentation of our entire persons before God. When we think of Jesus' call to take up our cross as an instrument that will totally consume our body, that's what a crucifix did, and send our spirit back to our creator, that's what the cross did in real life for all who were slain on it, we see the totality that Paul speaks of here in Romans 12. There's no area of our lives, there's no area of our minds or bodies that's not to be given over and presented as a sacrifice to God. But it's living, Paul says. It's a living sacrifice. It's not the sacrifice over a fire cut by the knife that Paul is calling for. For most of us, there will be, not as far as I know, martyrdom by the knife. That's not what he's asking them to do anyway. This is a living sacrifice, Paul says. It's a sacrifice that does not stop at the offering, like the animal sacrifice did. It does not die. The sacrifice goes on because we do. It's a picture of total consecration, total dedication to God that goes on as long as we do, again and again and again. There's There's nothing in the Greek verb construction that would say this is a once offering. It's a constant offering. It's a, the living word actually implies an ongoing offering. Again and again and again and again. Again and again and again and again. Daily. Daily. Every day. 
daily. And isn't that a mercy, though? Like, I don't have to finish the race. A lifetime of commitment takes place bit by bit, day by day. Jesus knows we can't handle offering Practically speaking, we can't conceive of what it would be like to do everything, get everything over in one day. He gives us 16 hours a day to walk with him in sacrifice. It's a tender thing to be able to put your head on the pillow, hopefully. (laughs) And then get up and start again with new mercies. Paul calls it a holy sacrifice. He says it's a holy sacrifice. It's sacred. The root idea is set apart for God, separated from common or profane use. So he's describing, he's moving into the kind of life we're to live in our sacrifice. It's supposed to be something very holy, this life, because we're offering ourselves to one who is very holy. Our lives are supposed to be very holy as we give them to God because we're giving them to someone who is very holy. That kind of sacrifice, it pleases God. It's well-pleasing, Paul says. It's acceptable. It doesn't mean it's acceptable. It means this pleases God. And then Paul says, this is your spiritual worship. This is your worship. And the word's translated spiritual, who is interesting. It could be translated, and you'll, in different Bibles, you'll see all kinds of different translations. If you remember this verse, sometimes you'll hear, this is your reasonable worship. Some Bibles will say, this is your true worship. Some Bibles will say, this is your spiritual worship. And all of those words capture what this word can be translated. It is true worship. It's real worship. Or Paul could have said, this is worship. Like, this is worship. Contrasting with temples and shrines and robes. Worship isn't founded on awana or getting to chur- going to church or quiet times or lifting your hands. It can encompass all of that and hopefully it does. But it, worship isn't fundamentally outward and external. And that's this word logicon really talks about it's, it's the mind, it's the spirit, it's the heart. Logicon That word you hear, logic, right? Well, when you think of spiritual, think logic is something about truth. It's something immaterial. It's invisible. It's it's truth. You can't grab truth like you can grab a temple. You can't grab truth or the inner heart like you can grab um, a a guitar and start playing and start worship. So there's this idea in this word spiritual here that's saying, This is from your heart. This is the worship that really counts with God. This is the kind of worship that to God is really worship. It's worship from your heart. And you think of, right, the, maybe you think of John 4 with Jesus talking to the woman at the well. And she's like, do we worship in Samaria? Do we worship in Jerusalem? And Jesus says, no, 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 lady. There's a time coming. It's already here. When God's seeking people who will worship him in spirit, in truth. The right God is being worshipped. That's the truth part. The right way he is being worshipped is by the spirit, the inner man, the inner person. That's the kind of worship that's reasonable. That's the kind of worship that's normal. That's the only kind of worship that works for God. So 
I do like one of those older translations. This is your reasonable worship. It's not crazy. It's not extravagant. Uh, coming back to what we said before when Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, is thinking what Paul's saying here. This is reasonable. This is what it means to be a Christian. <laughs> this is what it means. This is, this is what it means to follow Jesus. It's to present yourself, to give yourself to him every day. Present yourself for his u- purposes, his use. But if we stop right now, I kind of just yelled at you and just told you to get your acting gear and offer yourselves to God. Come on, people. And you know that can't be all there is to this. You know all that, probably. You feel already the guilts and the inadequacies and the already, maybe some of you. I do. <laughs> You long to give everything to God. You long to sense the freedom of being all his. You have a sense and a hope of the kind of life that would look like. And you want it. Because you have this inkling of sense that this would be experiencing this abundant life thing. Because you've tasted it at times in your life. Or the joy that you felt when you first came to him. But you feel like it's just so, it just goes through your hand like water. you know, I'm, I'm not strong enough to dedicate myself to him. If I place myself on the altar, I know my heart will keep jumping off of it. Right? Well, is it, is, uh, is it then that's okay? So some good days, some bad days, and some days the spirit seems to be working, some days he doesn't, or some months I just go away from God, and then I come back for some other months. Nah, <laughs> no, I don't think that's what Paul is saying. I don't think that's what Jesus meant. When he tells Elijah to see in church that <laughs> I wish you were hot or cold, but you're so lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I don't think he's saying, it's cool. You can be committed to me sometimes, and then other times you don't have to be committed to me. In fact, don't worry about commitment. I don't think he's mocking Romans 7. I don't think he's saying it's impossible to be a Christian and experience the reality of not doing what you want to do, but the things you don't want to do, you keep on doing. He's not mocking that. But isn't there a way that we can settle for that? That we can start to believe that that's all there is. That we don't turn the page to Romans 8 and ask ourselves, what is this? Where's this in my life, Lord? I, I appreciate the empathy. I appreciate the relatability that Paul's got with me here. The things I don't want to do, I keep doing. The things I do, want I, I can't get out of this rut. Grateful that you could relate to me. But what's this? The spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death? 
What about that? Isn't that true too? Isn't that for me? Yes, it is. Perfection, no, okay? Agreed. We're all agreed. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone says I have no sin, he's a liar and doesn't walk in the truth. But lukewarmness, failure after failure after failure, no joy in the Holy Spirit. As a rule, as the tone of our life and the trajectory, I don't see that in the Bible. I don't see that in Paul's writings to the church. I don't see that as his expectation for us. I see whoever drinks of the water that I give will never thirst again. I see whoever believes in me. Are you thirsty? Whoever believes in me from within his innermost being will spring up waters that are living. I see sorrowful, but always rejoicing. I see my peace I leave with you. I see with man this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. I see sin will no longer have dominion over you. Because you're a bad A? Because you're a total stud? Because you're Jim Elliott Jr., Billy Graham II? Because you're not under the law. You're under grace. And so, just as Jesus says, he didn't tell us everything in Luke 9 when he said, deny yourself and take up your cross every day and follow me. If anyone wants to follow me. He didn't tell us everything. Thank God he told us a lot more. So Paul, from Jesus' own spirit, from the lips of the Holy Spirit to Paul's pen, puts five words in here that changes everything about deny yourself daily and come and follow me. Five words that changes everything. Five words that change everything. Let's put it up again. Romans 12, one through two, Brando. Let's put it up again. I appeal to you, brethren, brothers, say these words with me, these five next words after brothers. Five words, say it loud, say it with me. By the mercies of God. Say it with me. By the mercies of God. Do you guys hear that? Don't drive by those five words. It's not a pleasant salutation to make you feel warm inside. It's 11 chapters of the book of Romans summarized into five words. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore. What's the therefore, therefore, right? That's the little context question you always want to ask. The therefore is therefore because Paul is connecting everything he just said for 11 chapters to what he's now saying now. 
And he says, by the mercies, other translations, I love what the old NIV used to say. I think it used to say, in view of God's mercy. That's why I said the sermon was called what it was called this morning. Seeing God's mercy. Seeing God's mercy. You know, when Jesus dismissed the rich young ruler with loving look that was also sad. He crushed my heart. Because I feel just like that rich young ruler who goes away sad because he feels the clutches of everything he wants to keep. But he still wants Jesus. But then he turns around. He goes around a building and brings Peter with him. And he says, hey, Peter. <laughs> Peter's like, oh, you just killed that guy. Who can do this? I mean, rich people are blessed people in Peter's culture. That meant they were particularly righteous. If you had a lot of money, it's because God was blessing you, which meant you were probably doing really good with your quiet times and your tithing and your work at Frederick Rescue Mission. And you just told that guy, sorry. <laughs> and she says, hey, Peter, with man, this is impossible. It's impossible for you. It's impossible for him. But with God, it's possible. Everything is possible with God. And that's what P Paul is saying right here. By the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. In these five words is sure hope. In these five words is the heart of our faith. In these five words is our salvation and our deliverance. In these five words, the Holy Spirit says to us again this morning, there is only one way you could do something so radical and so difficult and so contrary to your human nature and so uh, opposed to comfort and self. It is by the mercies of God. Paul is not bringing sentimental, vague, hallmarky. <laughs> it was so funny. Babylon B sent, put up this article yesterday. It was so perfect. It was so perfect. I, I, it said, <laughs> live, laugh, love sign found in Paul's prison. You know, you sometimes you go to houses. Not, I saw it yesterday. I was at a place house. It almost had the exact same thing. It's this, you know, you go to uh, Pier 1 or something and you, or I don't know, Ikea, and you find this beautiful sign that says, live, laugh, love, and you put it over your dining room table, and everybody knows that's your vision statement for your family and your life. Live, laugh, love. <laughs> it's like, it said, Paul, live, laugh, love sign found in Paul's prison cell. It's like, how did Paul get through all that suffering, you know? Live, laugh, love. That's how I make it through. It's my life mission. No, he's not doing that. He's not bringing some sentimental, by God's mercies. He's just spent 11 chapters in the most profound way, maybe in all of the scriptures. In the most detailed, uh, like he's going through the human anatomy, but it's, it's God's mercies. He just spent 11 chapters going into precision and the colors and the shapes and the sizes and everything he can do to describe everything in 11 chapters of God's mercies in the most amazing way. That literally, literally, a lot of great, several great preachers you guys would like preached that book, preach it for years. Like, I think John Piper preached Romans for three years, maybe more. And I think D. Lloyd Martin-Jones in England, who's a great guy, preached it for eight years, going through 11 chapters. You know, you just, 
that's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. It, Paul explains the mercies of God in 11 chapters. And it's those chapters that are in that mercies of God. You guys are getting this. I know. I need to move on. But here's what he says in 11 chapters. And I'm, I'm just going to try to summarize what takes John Piper eight years to preach. You know, he, he tells us that Jesus gave himself fully and finally over to God as a living sacrifice who died. <laughs> he lived for 33 years, lived for us. He died. He gave it all up for our sins, for all of our sins. He tells us that God gives us a righteous standing that we did not earn, that we cannot earn, and we do not have to earn as a free gift that is ours by faith. He tells us that God has reconciled us to himself and he has put an end to the war between us, the war between his holiness and his justice and our sin. He has destroyed the war by killing his son and he has established peace because Jesus has exhausted all of God's wrath so there is only peace left between us and God. He tells us that this work of Jesus on the cross has now wedded us to Jesus Christ, that we are now spiritually in union with him, that we are one with Jesus, closer than a husband and a wife are called to be one. We are one with Jesus, so much so that spiritually somehow we, we were united to Christ even in his death, so that when he died, he took with he did this, by the way. We didn't sign up for it. We didn't volunteer for it. He took with him on the cross our old man, our old sinful nature, and he crucified it. He killed it. In God's mind, in God's eyes, in a spiritual way, he, he crucified it. Our old man was put to death on that cross. And we were united to him in his resurrection, which means that when he rose from the grave, we rose new with him when we rose with him we rose not as the old people we were we rose as new people that's where you get the idea of born again because when jesus rose we rose with him new not old and yes just parenthetically paul's preaching to sinners okay <laughs> he's saying these things to people who still struggle with sin and he's saying your old sinful nature has been crucified he's saying you are born again alive to god Alive to righteousness. We're new creations. Only because of God's mercy in Jesus. Able, 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 he says in Romans 6, to walk in the new life that God has given us. Because you're strong enough? Because you're good enough? Because people like you? No, because Jesus killed your old man and he rose you new. A new person. This is his mercy. Not your work. His mercy includes setting us free from the bondage to sin. Formerly, Paul says, all humanity, he tells us in Romans 1, had been given over to sin's rule. Like a criminal thrown in a jail cell, locked in, because we had, when we had freedom from sin's rule, we rejected God. We rejected him in the garden. We took our free will when we weren't under sin's dominion, and we said, God, we don't want you. And so God threw us into the prison of sin in Romans 1, and we see that in Romans 7. This meant that sin is not only something that we do as a human race, but it's a prison we're thrown into by God in his judgment against us. He says, you don't want me? 
You don't want to be slaves to God? Well, you'll be, the only other option is for you to be slaves to your own sinful hearts then. So there you go. But when Jesus paid for all of our sins, Paul tells us in Romans 7, sin lost its right to rule over us. It cannot be our master any longer. It has no right to keep us in its prison. Now we have his Holy Spirit who lives in us. His power is greater than our sin. He gives, oh man, I, I fear that like as I'm saying these words, some of you guys are just falling asleep to them. Please don't fall asleep to these words. Jesus died that these words would mean something to you right now. He poured out his blood that you would hear these words and, and, and cry out for them to be realized in your life. Don't let them be wrote to you right now. He gave you his Holy Spirit. Power that is greater than your sin. So that through that Holy Spirit, you can bear the fruit of his spirit. Which is love and goodness and peace and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Is that something that you create and you work for on your own and you do because you're Billy Graham II? No, it's something that his spirit empowers you and makes you able to do. Paul says in Romans 8, the spirit leads us. I feel like we have a lot to learn about this. But I just want to say what Paul said. He said the Spirit leads us. He's not passive. He's not dormant. He's not following. It's not his posture to follow behind us. We drag him around like some sad drinking buddy who has to get ready to drive us home when we're had too much. And No, the Spirit's to lead us. And we see in other places in Scripture, he renews our spirit. Titus 3 says we receive the renewal through the Holy Spirit of our minds. He gives us new affections. He gives us a new passion, a new zeal to want God. That has happened to you. You have wanted God when you used to not want God. And if you feel far away from God, you don't feel great about that. More mercy, Paul says, that when you don't know how to pray even, when you don't even know what to do, his Holy Spirit knows exactly what you need. When you don't even know what to ask God about, because you're so confused, you're so overwhelmed, or you just feel so sick of who you are, or tired and wiped out, and you, don't, you know you need God, but you don't know what to say, his Spirit knows exactly what you need, and he will do it for you. Don't stop pleading with God, even if all you can do is just say, oh, I need you. Because his spirit loves you and comforts you and his spirit will go to God for you with exactly what you need, even when you can't figure it out. God's mercies include the surety that no condemnation can exist for you anymore because God has already justified you by his son's precious blood. No accusation can stand in God's courtroom. Even though many accusations should stand in God's courtroom, God says no accusation should stand because my son already died 
for all the accusations that are valid and legitimate against you. They're valid, they're legitimate, it doesn't matter. Right? We hear lots of accusations from Satan that are flat out lies. But the true ones, the real ones, condemn us. They're bad enough. And Jesus says, nope, they fell on me. They can't do anything to harm me. And then Paul says, Jesus is also interceding. As if the Spirit's intercession wasn't enough, Jesus is interceding for you right now. We can off-road to Hebrews 7.25 and say, that means that he's able and will save you completely and fully because he lives forever. He's never going to die again. And what he does with his life forever life that can't ever die again, what does he do with it up in heaven? Is he resting and having a party with his father? He's interceding for you. That's what he's doing right now. That's what he's doing right now. Jesus is interceding for you on his sacrifice based upon what he's done so that you will be saved forever. So that you will be kept forever. So that like Peter, when you fall away, your faith will not fail and you will return. And by God's grace, strengthen your brothers and sisters. Paul says in the crescendo of these mercies, absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing in all the universe, life, death, angels, demons, what happened before, what's coming, nothing can separate you from the love of God. And that God will use everything, whether it's good or it's bad, whether it makes you suffer or fills you with joy, he will use everything in this life and he will make it bow down and be a tool for his perfect glorious plan to make you just like Jesus. And then he says, <laughs> do you see your father's arms in the pool? Held out to you? Jump in. No temptation will overcome you, but I'll provide a way out. Jump in. My throne of grace and mercy is open whenever you need it. Jump in. If you sin, just tell me you sinned and I'll forgive you and cleanse you. Jump in. Greater is he who lives in you than the one in the world. Jump in. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Jump in. I will strengthen you to the end. Jump in. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And keep you blameless until the day of Christ Jesus. Jump in. Will you jump in? Will you present yourself afresh today to God? Will you tell him that his promises are true, that he's not lying? Do you think he doesn't know that sin in your life is awful and that it's hard to get over? What is wrong with you people? You think he doesn't know that? That you feel addicted to stuff? Oh, well, I didn't come for the addicts. Oh my gosh, my bad. Father, there, it turns out there is another way. This cup can pass for me. These are sin addicts. 
This isn't going to work. Take me up. I'm not dying for addicts. I didn't know that people couldn't stop sinning. I didn't know that they struggle every day. Forget it. This isn't going to work. When I said, what's wrong with you people, I meant that in love. And I say that to myself. But seriously, like, what's wrong with us? No, Paul says, in light of all that, in light of him, in light of what he's done, in light of who he is, in light of how faithful he is and how powerful he is, present yourself to him. It's going to be good. It's gonna, there's going to be suffering, but there's going to be joy in it. There's going to be wrestling, but keep fighting. There's going to be victory in the wrestling. So present yourself by his mercies. Again, tell him, I belong to you. My eyes belong to my wife and they belong to you. And if I'm not married, they just belong to you. (laughs) Use them, God. I present my eyes to you. My tongue that is so quick to be critical and so quick to answer before I listen, I present it to you today. Use it for your purposes. My time that I waste so much on the internet and recreation, what I overdose on Facebook scrolling or we, well, we is purely old school. We's all we got at my house. Maybe it's X plus 12 or whatever they're called today. <laughs> or I overdose on just reading books about you and not going out and caring for people. <laughs> I don't know, God. I don't know. Maybe I'm good. Maybe I'm not. But it belongs to you. I'm giving it to you again. I give my time to you, Lord. Oh, God, it's hard to give my time to you. Please help me. Keep it in your hands today. You will be faithful. When I want to take my time back, your spirit will lead me. He'll remind me. He'll prompt me. Because you say, no temptation will overcome me today. That's not common. But you'll provide a way out. And you're so gentle. And you're so humble. You won't be a jerk to me about it. He's not a jerk. He really is gentle. Like the way the gentle means, like you want it to be somebody who's really gentle and not a jerk. He's that guy. Doesn't mean he doesn't ask you the hard things. But even when he does, he's going to be gentle about it. It's not, Lord, I offer myself to you today. This is the first time I've been a Christian. Go to Iraq and present yourself to ISIS for assassination. It's not how he works. He knew the Israelites should have been able to go right through Pharaoh's army with what they saw him do. But he took them around. They weren't ready, and he knew it. They should have been able to drive right through Pharaoh's chariots. But he knew they weren't ready. He took them around because he's gentle. He knew Peter was going to blow it. 
And he could have condemned Peter. He could have given Peter a lecture that night. But he didn't. He said, Peter, I know you're going to blow it. But I pray for you. You're not going to fail. You're not going to fail completely, buddy. Because I pray for you. Because he's gentle. So give him yourself. Give him your hands every day, daily, daily. Let it mean something when he says daily. When he says present, let it mean something. Don't just let it mean, I know these things. No, he really meant daily. Pick it up, that cross, and present yourself to me. That's why he said daily, because he meant it. That's why he said give us this daily bread, because he meant it. That's why he said don't worry about tomorrow, but worry about today. Focus on today, daily. Give him your hands. Give him your eyes. Give him your time. Give him your passions that right now feel so torn up and conflicted. Say, God, this belongs to you. Lord, with everything I can, I'm presenting, I'm giving myself to you. Jumping into that water, catch me. And do it again, and do it again. But do it by his mercies. And I'm beating a dead horse for some of you guys. Some of you guys are really well educated in the Lord and you have all kinds of good books and resources to go to. And you know where to go to find his mercies. You know how to pick up Romans and scroll through it and remind you of his promises. But some of you guys don't. And some of you guys need that prayer I wrote. (laughs) I didn't write it just for me. You don't have to use my prayer. Find something else, it's fine. But if you need something that tells you what God's mercies are, not in totality, but a lot of good ones, use my prayer. I'll send it out again this week. I sent it out last week. That's what that prayer is about. Equipping you to fight with God's mercies. To fight and to offer yourselves to him in view of his mercies. You don't have to use my prayer, but you better use something. You better have a way to grab hold of his mercies and remind yourselves of what they are so you have any hope of offering yourself to him because you can't do it on your own. You need his mercies. You need his promises. You need to hold on to those. You need to go back to those. They need to woo you. Like the handsomest guy woos a lady. The most, you need to see those promises until you just, you can't, your just heart is just melting with, or at least there's some sprinkles of hope coming out of you again. Because it's by his mercies that you're to present yourselves before him. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is saying to us this morning, jump, I am here to catch you. I will keep you from drowning, but you have to give yourself to me. You have to believe in me again. You have to recommit again, maybe. And by commitment, don't get lost in that word. Sometimes people, oh, that's not the gospel. You have to represent yourself as a living sacrifice. How about I just use the Bible's words? (laughs) You have to take up your cross daily again. You have to recommit to doing that. And you have to honor his promises that his mercies are what you need and all you need to do that. Offer yourself to me. I will sustain you. I will make that, su- that commitment possible. Give me back your eyes from filth so I can clean them. And you can see what you need to see. Give me back your tongue from hurtful words. Give me back your heart from bitterness. Give me back your unforgiveness and offer me your heart 
to follow me into forgiveness. Give me your future and let me take the burdens of future anxieties about money or jobs that are mine alone to carry. The future, it's his alone to carry. It's not yours. Today is yours with him. Tomorrow is just him. (laughs) Give me your day so I can make it a day of order and peace and fruit and love and not a day lost to waste and laziness and stealing from your family or your employer, which, which I, by the way, have done. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not just yelling at you guys. It's one of the gifts I've had of this study break is just God's just saying, man, get rid of the internet, dude. Just get rid of it. And he gave me power to do it. I'm not, and I'm not saying I, but, but in large measure, by God's grace, I, he fought me, but I gave him the internet in large measure. I'm not never online. But the way I'm online, how I'm online, I don't need to go into it, but it's his doing. And I have, it's just been so good to get the crap off that thing. It's awful. God bless it if you use it and it works for you. But I I hate it. It's awful for me. It just, it sends me in a thousand different directions with a thousand different things that are important or urgent or funny or amusing or bond. I I mean, I, a couple of weeks ago, Roger Federer lost the final at uh, Indian Wells, California to Theum. He lost in the third set. He had it. He was winning. He's so good. It destroyed me. What the crap is wrong with me? It's awful. No, seriously, that's awful. I said to my wife, I told my wife what happened to me emotionally that day. I was like, Jen, this is awful. And you know what she said? She said, yeah. (laughs) You're a weirdo. (laughs) And I just deleted the tennis app, you know, from my phone. I just, I'm not going to look at this score anymore. I don't know when I'll go back to my beloved Federer. I hope at some point I can enjoy it. I mean, I, I'm praying for him more than I used to just watching him, but like, I, God, here, here, please. Here. But it's not just this or this or this or this. It's everything. Present everything, and I will lead you. I will transform you. That renewal of the mind, we can't go into verse 2 today at length, but uh, just a hint of what Paul's talking about. There's the inward working of the renewal of the mind that takes place when we offer ourselves to God. He operates. He responds to that. He uses his word, but it's not just Bible reading. It's his spirit at work internally with us. Sometimes using his word, sometimes reminding us. Without it, it's always within conformity to his word. But I want to tell you, there's, there's an element of internal operation from the Holy Spirit. Listen to Jesus' words in Revelation 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door. Behold, I stand in the water with my arms outstretched. If anyone will jump in the pool and give themselves to me and present themselves to me as a living sacrifice, if anyone will commit their lives to me, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. He's talking to Christians. This isn't about being saved again. This isn't about people who are converted. This is Christians. He's saying, I'm not in there with you right now. You've boxed me out. Right? We see that in Laodicea. Jesus is writing to churches, and he says, you've boxed me out. I don't have dominion anymore. You think you've got it all together. You're wretched, he says. He's talking to church. You're wretched. You think you're, you're rich. You think you're clothed well. You're poor and naked. And you are lukewarm. And I wish you would just commit to me or hate me. I wish you would just give yourself for me to me or just give up on me. But you're like in this in-between place. 
It's destroying you. You can't even see it. And you're, you're like, spit to me. I want to spit you out of my mouth. And then he says this. Right after he says that. I rebuke the one I love. After he insults you by telling you you're like lukewarm spit in his mouth that he wants to spit out, he says, listen, I'm telling you this because I love you. I only rebuke people I love. I love you. I love you. And then he says these words. I stand at the door and I knock. I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, he's talking to the people he just told were lukewarm that he, that he says he's tempted to want to spit him out of his mouth. He says, I will come in. Will you open the door? I'll come in and eat with you. I'll be with you again. Experientially. And I'll help you. The renewing of your mind, you'll start to be able to see. If you give yourself to me, you'll start to be able to see what's right, what's wrong, how to discern, how to walk. I'll help you. Jesus said, if anyone wants to do the will of the Father, he will know whether my teaching is from God or not. If you want to, if you give yourself to God, if you really want to follow him, you'll know who Jesus is. You'll know the teaching that's from God. Can I just ask the band to come up? We're going to close with communion. We're going to sing. After hearing all this talk about offering ourselves to Jesus, let's just take a second and think about what he did for us, how he offered himself for us. And I pray that as we sing, you hear him lovingly telling you, I gave myself to you. Give yourself for me. Give yourself to me. I gave myself for you.